This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. We're, we're thankful for the series uh, called Christmas Miracles. Christmas Miracles. Now last week I said uh, something that I had a few people that asked me. Uh, I said that everyone believes in miracles. And I had a few people say, well, if everyone believes in miracles, well, what about me? Because I don't believe in miracles. And I want to just not double down, but I want to just start out by saying that I believe, uh, not, maybe not everyone believes in the Christmas miracle, but I believe that everyone believes in miraculous things. I believe there's something uh, inside of all of us that's built in, and, and I believe it's put there by God, but I believe that we all believe in miracles. Now, whether you're believing in stardust, that, that, that it miraculously, you know, combusted, you know, the, with the Big Bang and everything came to pass, whether that's your miracle or you believe in the miracle of God in the Bible, if you believe in miracles, then last week I said you kind of need to take a look and at least consider the miracle of who Jesus is. So that's what we're going to do today because when we understand that everyone believes in miracles then, and we understand that Jesus was the most verified miracle worker and in fact his birth was one of the greatest miracles uh, that is recorded in the Bible uh, or claimed in the Bible, if, 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 if you will, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does it look like? What was this miracle? And last week I said that the miracle was predicted. In fact, there's eight parts, and there's a lot more than that, but we looked at eight different parts of the prediction of the miracle. Uh, the fact that there were lots of predictions that came to pass, and, uh, and those predictions uh, are, are really one of the greatest proofs uh, of who Jesus is in, in Scripture. Um, but this week I want to look at the conception miracle. I want to look at the fact that Jesus was claimed... To be conceived of a virgin. Uh, now, this was not a singular claim. In fact, um, there are hundreds of verses in the Bible that are referencing this claim. Uh, but none as notable as the very first time that it was claimed. In fact, in Genesis 3.15, it says that, that this Messiah, that, that, that this one that would come and crush Satan's head, would come from the woman's seed, not from the man's seed, from the woman's seed. And then uh, it says by the angel Gabriel that, that then this, this woman's going to give birth of the Holy Ghost. So it kind of explains what was said in Genesis. Now, all of these claims mean nothing if we are uh, not going to accept the validity of Scripture. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I'm going to say today uh, is just admittedly extremely countercultural. How many times do you walk in a room and a guy's going to talk uh, for a few minutes about a virgin and about giving birth, okay? Uh, that, that's just the reality of our culture saying uh, kind of some topics maybe you should leave on the shelf, but the Bible doesn't. And I want to just point out the fact that the Bible does not shy away from the most difficult of topics. The Bible does not shy away from things that maybe culture isn't really into talking about, or maybe it's not really high on the list of things that maybe someone would want uh, a pastor to talk about, but I just want you to know that if the virgin birth is not true, then we're wasting our time. You see, the virgin birth is one of the greatest claims. It is the greatest claim uh, of the Christmas story, obviously, but, but I, I like how one author put it. He said, we might not be capable of fully comprehending the magnitude of the miracle of Mary conceiving Jesus through divine intervention. But we must know that the Bible is based on this incredible claim. And so, uh, as much as uh, I have kind of in the past taken uh, a really kind of hard stand to the point where uh, I've even risked offending some people who are very religious. I, I've always kind of spoken against religiosity because I, I, I view it in direct opposition to why Jesus came. Uh, but for my religious friends, and, and, and I have many uh, who are very religious, and, and in fact, I, I have uh, several Catholic friends, even some in this room today, and, and I would say that, that they have done one thing, and that is they have really focused on the virgin birth. 
they've really focused on, throughout history, the Virgin Mary. But I want to talk about what the Bible says, because a lot of times churches can start to kind of uh, get their own slant on things, and I never want to be a church that's just you know, you taking it for granted from me. I hope that you can take everything I say uh, from the Scripture. Um, but I, I wanted you to understand that the Bible is so clear about what it says about Mary. And it breaks it down in so many different ways. But the Apostle Paul, right before he died, broke it down to Timothy this way in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 16. And it says this, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, he was manifest in the flesh because he chose to. And it's a great mystery. You say, well, I don't understand that mystery. Well, it gets even better. The mystery gets even better. He was not only manifest in the flesh, but he was justified in the Spirit. And he was seen of angels, meaning the Spirit justified the, the fact that he was perfect, that he was God. The Spirit bore witness he was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles, uh, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. You see, the disciples and the 550 people who were standing on the soil over in Israel, and they watched Jesus start to kind of hover off the ground and physically ascend into heaven, and they could not explain how that was happening by the way, historical facts and uh, lots of archaeological writings that have been found over the years ha have proven the fact that Jesus was seen after the resurrection. And again, other religions and, and skeptics have, have verified that. So we can't explain that. That's not explainable, but we accept it. And just as we accept what isn't explainable about his ascension into heaven, there's also some things that we cannot fully comprehend and understand about the virgin birth as well. But let me t tell you something. That just because something is not understandable does not mean that we do not need to receive it as reality. L let me just give you a for instance. Everyone in here has a cell phone, for the most part, I, I think, okay? And... When you take that cell phone apart, if you ever have to, please don't. I've tried a few times, and uh, they're just paperweights now, okay? Um, but, but everyone everyone has that cell phone, and, and, and cell phones have gotten more and more complex, haven't they? Uh, how many of you remember having a beeper? When I was in high school, I had a, a pager. Hey, 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 page me. You call me, I'll call you. You know, you beat me, I'll call you back, Okay. So, so I had one that was see-through, so you could see all the wires and the battery. That was cool, you know. And, 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 then, and then cell phones came out, and, and, and let me just educate um, Gen Z, some of you that are in the room. Cargo pants are coming back, but when cargo pants were cool when I was a teenager, it was functional. It was not fashionable. It was practical. Our phones were so big, we needed those big pockets, okay? So... So when the phones got so big you could not put them in normal pockets, okay, they came out with carpenter pants and cargo pants so that you could fit your brick of a phone that was also a weapon if you needed it to be. <laughs> What's so incredible is phones have gotten so complex that now they are trying to mimic the past by putting the present. I don't know if you guys saw this, but last week Motorola came out with a flip phone. I mean, and I think we have a, a picture or whatever, a video of it. I mean, it looks just like the phone I had in, in, in college. Looks just like it. So, so that's the phone, but it went through this kind of this transformation. And now, I don't understand how this works, but the thing flips. And when it flips, when, when, when this phone is turned on or whatever, and you put it in, and it's little, you know, and then it, and then it flips open the the. the top is a screen, which it was, but then the bottom is not buttons. The bottom's a screen, too. Now, this is not a commercial for Motorola, okay? I'm just trying to say that there might be some engineers in here who understand how you can fold your phone in half and it not break, because if you fold my phone in half, okay, uh, I'm going to send you a bill. 
I don't understand how that happens. But it doesn't mean that it's not a reality. And so there's some things in Scripture like the Trinity and, and, and like the virgin birth that I cannot physically and scientifically break down for how it happened. But I will tell you that everything surrounding it that we can verify is verifiable. And everything that lines up with Scripture and all the predictions of how it would happen lines up with Scripture. And so just because you can't understand something doesn't mean it's not reality. For all of the English majors that just noticed my double negative, I apologize. <laughs> Someone says thank you, okay? Listen, my, my English teacher, Mrs. Hansen, man, if you did something like that, phew, man, she would not let you forget it, okay? So uh, she's not even here, but if she ever listens, I'm sorry, Mrs. Hansen. Here's what I'm trying to say, is that there are some things in Scripture that we cannot understand. And by the way, that used to bother me. And if it bothers you, that's okay. But I want you to know that there will always be things in life that you won't understand. And Van Tavner said, if you wait to understand why the lights turn on when you turn on the switch, you'll always be in the dark. And I want you to understand that there's some things that you can't wait to understand that you have to accept by faith. But it's not a blind faith. It is an informed faith. So let's break down some of the miracles surrounding uh, this miraculous birth, the conception of Jesus, okay? Uh, first of all, you have Gabriel's appearance to Mary, Zechariah, 40 miles away, and Joseph. Around the same time, and, and, and if you break this down and go study it out, the, he, Gabriel, told them information that they could not have known otherwise. And there was not a way with Motorola phones to be able to tell each other this information. So unless there was a teleportation device, or, okay, it, it's some unexplainable event, they would have had to have a same appearance to get all of them on the same page. Okay? So again, you go study that out, but that's one of the miracles we cannot explain that, that, that kind of surround the virgin birth. Of course, there's Mary that conceived Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, I, and I, in fact, don't take my word for it. Okay? I, I want you to notice. Let's, let's go to verse 34. We're going to get to the rest of the passage here in Luke chapter 1. And if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be going through that passage today. But, but in Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, it says, Mary said unto the angel, when she's finding out about all of this, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, now, let me just say something to, 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 to all of you, and we're, we're talking about Christmas miracles, and I'm talking to someone who maybe has trouble understanding the virgin birth, kind of like me, and, and that is, it's okay to ask this question. H how is this possible? It's okay to actually ask yourself, to allow yourself the opportunity to say, okay, what, what, what's going to happen? How, how, how does this line up with reality? Uh, it's okay to try to put some of the pieces together, and that's what she was trying to do. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and uh, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore thou, uh, thou, that holy thing which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. So God was literally coming down to her. But then the third miracle is, is listed in verse 36. And, and let's go back there. Uh, Mary, uh, Elizabeth, her, her relative, conceived John the Baptist at the age of 80. Now, let's go back and read the verse, and then I want to tell you how remarkable that is. Even, I know you already know that, but let's, let's talk about it, okay? Um, behold, thy cousin, probably a second cousin, because Mary's 14, probably, um, and, uh, which is pretty remarkable in and of itself, uh, culturally for us. Elizabeth is probably 80 to, to 85, maybe 90, as late as 90, but, but most likely the youngest she is in this passage is 80. Um, and, and she had conceived a, a son in her, her, in her old age. Um, and if you're 80 in here, you're 80 years young, okay? But the Bible is talking about Elizabeth as being old, okay? And she's in her sixth month with her, uh, who was called barren. So God's renaming her. And God's going to speak through Gabriel, Gabriel meaning strength. He's going to give her strength that she needs through truth. 
So I want you to get this, and this is where I, listen, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. I want you to connect the question to the truth. And by the way, a lot of us have questions, and questions are okay. You know when it's really dangerous to have questions? When you're not willing to connect those, those questions to the truth. And so here's the question that was asked. How can this be possible? How can this be? I, I am a virgin. And I'm not just saying that. She said, no, no, this is, this is my story. Okay? I'm, I'm happy to, to be in this story this way. So now something's disrupting this story. Why? How? Gabriel comes down, gives her proof, gives her a reason, gives her a, 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 something to hold on to, some evidence. And, and by the way, she went to go figure out if it was true or not. She, she got up right away and went to go see if it was true. And that's what I would have done or you would have done. But then in verse 37, I want you to read it with me. Ready, begin. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The question is, how is this possible? And the answer is, well, with God, anything's possible. Now, we all know that. But I want you just to let that sink in. With God, anything is possible. Now, we kind of know that. Like, for instance, when I say that she was 80 and, you know, she had a baby, we're like, oh, my goodness, that's not possible. But, okay, two months ago in India, this lady was 74 and had twins. So, so she had twins, and by the way, healthy twins, uh, beautiful twins. And, and, so, and so when we, when we say that nothing's impossible, you say, well, then how, how do we know it was a miracle? Okay, well, there's a few ways. Number one, she was called barren, meaning the lady over in India had had children. She was not barren. She, she had gone through lots of medical uh, testing and procedures, and, and, and there were other things that, that helped her become pregnant, uh, uh, advances in medical uh, science. By the way, I believe that wisdom is from God. That's just my uh, opinion. But what's not my opinion is the fact that God called it a miracle, and it was a miracle that showed that what God says is possible is possible regardless of our realm of thinking. And so in this passage, there's just two parts that I want you to break down about this, uh, with me about this miracle. And, and the first part is this, and I want you to note this. Number one, that God's message and mission for Mary was seen. God's message and mission. He had a message for her that was brought through Gabriel. Uh, you know, there's only two angels named in the Bible. The archangel, okay, Michael. And then Gabriel, who we're, we're assuming is an archangel, but we just know that he shows up when something really important is about to happen. And the mission for Mary was seen in this passage as well. Now let's look at the very beginning of this passage. Verse 26. It says, And in the sixth month, uh, the, and, and if you're doing some math, okay, you're like, wait a second, that's not December uh, we, we, we know we all get that, okay? So we, we, we understand that. It was, uh, the, the, you know, probably uh, August, September uh, for, for our calendar, okay? Um, they had 10 months, okay? So I don't want, I don't want to keep, people are going to be thinking about it and doing calculations, okay? So um, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, we're going to talk a lot about Nazareth right before Christmas, and, it, and, and it's a wonderful thing to talk about because it is a huge part of Jesus' story, okay? But, but if you want to know what Nazareth looks like, and I have to just say this, and I'm going to say it a lot more, you know, just because I think it's remarkable, I and mean, that just looks like Palmdale, okay? I mean, that, it, it's Nazareth. It's the sign. I've stood right there, and I was very disappointed. I'm like, oh, I'm all the way over in the Holy Land. And I didn't leave. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, this looks just like. But, but in the 1980s, okay, uh, it, was, it, it was very untouched. I mean, no one really wanted to develop Nazareth. And a lot of the things that Jesus would have seen and walked through in the 1980s actually still existed. And up until recently, it hasn't been modernized. It hadn't been modernized. And so it was interesting that this place called Nazareth was, was there where, where they were from. They did not have resources. Uh, they, they, were, 
they were there and, and, and were going to be put in an impossible situation. And I want you to notice verses 27 through 30 because I think it tells you exactly everything you need to know about this miracle, the claim of this miracle. It says, to a virgin, uh, so the Gab- Gabriel was coming to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came and unto her and said, Hail, thou who art favored, the Lord is with thee. Bless, blessed art thou among uh, women. When she saw him, she was troubled. By the way, you would be troubled too. He, he, he did not have wings, okay? Uh, but he hovered as well, okay? So, and, and, and Daniel, we know that he hovered very quickly, okay? So th- that would trouble you as well. Um, we also have a little bit of a description in Daniel, and he wasn't the best-looking individual, okay? So he would have troubled you. Why are you hovering, and why do you look like that, right? Um, and so uh, she was troubled at this saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And angels always are very obvious. They never hide anything from you, and so he says what she needs to hear, but is probably not what she wants to hear, and that is, don't be afraid. Um, to which, if I was Mary, which obviously, you know, she responded much more spiritually than I would, but I would be like, please don't say that, okay? <laughs> I'm going to be afraid uh, unless you stop looking like that, unless you stop hovering. I'm going to be afraid. Don't tell me not to be. Uh, and, then, and then he says why she shouldn't be afraid. And, and again, going back to the reason Not just believing your feelings, but having faith in facts. Having faith in the truth. He says, for thou hast found favor with God. And can I just tell you, church family, when you understand that you have the grace of God at at, at your fingertips, and when you understand that you have found favor with God, disfavor from family, and and trouble in society, and, and, and discontentment inside your heart and home, let me tell you, nothing can stand against the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so no matter what fear or anxiety you have, it always gets quenched by the favor of God. And so letter A here, we see that God's message of love for the Virgin Mary, uh, it, it seemed a lot less like love and a little bit more like hate. Say, whoa, 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 that's really tough language. Well, well, let me just break this down in reality. Because when God says you are highly favored, and this is what's about to happen, let me explain to you what's about to happen. Because I think sometimes we put on our, on our Christmas goggles and it's like, you know, candy canes and hot chocolate and, and Christmas cookies, which I'm thankful for all three of those being in the back right now, okay? Thankful for presents and Christmas Eve and all the stuff that we're gonna do. But, but I think we forget that Christmas was messy. Now, if you're a mom, okay, with young kids, you haven't forgotten that Christmas is messy, okay? But, but, but let me just break down what it meant by you are highly favored. This is what it meant, okay? Seven ways, okay? Seven ways, this is what it looked like. The life she had planned would no longer be available to her. Her circumstances would now seem like God was against her. Her uh, fiancé, that's supposed to say, would... Uh, have the right to leave her legally. The religious leaders would want to kill her. Uh, Her family would not understand her. The world would not accept her, and nothing would be easy for her. Does that sound favored to you? You say, well, I mean, God came through her. I mean, of course she was favored. All I'm trying to say is, I don't know how favored she felt. And I'm just thankful that we have an example in Mary to teach us that we cannot always believe our feelings. That you may not feel favored, but friend, you are. And so we have to instruct our heart. We have to instruct our experience 
with the truth. And God can take even what does not feel or look good and make much good from it. And uh, because we do not see what God sees and because we, not, we do not know what God knows, we are incapable of delivering a verdict for what is good and what is evil that is different than what God has said. So here's the key thought from this point, and that is that even when everything seems to be going wrong, God's word is still right. It's still right. And, and, and this is what Luke 45, 1, 45 through 50 says. So, so we know how she felt, but what did she believe? Did she believe the way she felt, or she, did she believe the, what, what God had said? And, and here's, here's what we know. Right when she saw Elizabeth, in verse 45, she says this. Blessed is she that believed, and for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So, so wait a second. When we believe God and take him at his word, there's a performance of those things? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And Mary knew that. And that's why she said this. She said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Uh, By the way, in this moment, she was not with her family. She was estranged from Joseph at this moment. She was three months removed from anything that was normal. She was most likely sleeping on a dirt floor uh, in their house, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth's house. She was kind of hunkered away going through uh, the the pains of early childbearing. And so, but she was willing to believe that he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. That, that, that no matter how uh, insignificant she might have felt in that moment, she knew that henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And he that is mighty hath done to me great things. Wow, what faith. And holy is his name. She was willing to call God's name holy even when it didn't feel right, even when it didn't feel just. And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. And the Holy Spirit didn't have to put that in there, but He did it for me and He did it for you because what Mary was saying was it wasn't just her generation that was favored. Friend, it's our generation that's favored as well because Jesus came down to us. And so, God's message of love to the Virgin Mary's scene, but then God's message of love and God's mission of love for mankind. His, his message and mission for us is the fact that He came down to us. The fact that in verse 31, it tells us that, that, that He did come. And I want you to read this with me. It says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name, everyone say it together, Jesus. And last week we, we understood that that's the, that's the Greek word, isos, for the, for, the, for the Hebrew word, Yeshua, which is the Hebrew name for Joshua. And it's, and it's the, the name that means the, the one that will bring salvation. He will save his people of their sin. You see, this was prophesied in Isaiah 7:14 that we saw last week, and it says, uh, The Lord Himself shall bring you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was his mission. Jesus was his called name. Emmanuel was his mission. He was bringing it down. It was his surname per se. And so the key thought is that true love is the selfless sacrifice of an act of faithfully serving another. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was coming down to us. And he did not come to bring condemnation, but he came to bring life and life more abundant. I heard a conversation between uh, two people and they were talking about um, not wanting to do some of the stuff that, that, that Jesus wanted them to do and they felt like it was almost condemnation for Christians to, to, to expect that, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You shouldn't have to do those things. And I was hearing, and they were very simple things. And, 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 but I remember thinking to myself, and if I ever had that conversation, which I have now since many times, uh, previous or uh, after that conversation that I uh, witnessed, but I, I remember thinking to myself, 
you know, Jesus spoke to this. We often quote John 3.16, but we forget John 3.17 through 19. And I want you to put those verses up on the screen. Because yes, God gave his son. Yes, God brought his son into the world uh, through a woman. But then it says that, that God sent not his son. This is Christmas right here. God didn't send his son for condemnation, but, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth not on him is con- it, 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 believe that on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not on him is condemned already, meaning we condemn ourselves. A lot of people are placing the blame on Christianity and the Bible for condemnation, but we condemn ourselves. It, it's not, it's not the, the Christians hating, it's, it, it's a lot of times our self-hate and our self-shame, and, 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 and because he believed not on the name of the only begotten Son of God, there's only one way to heaven, there's only one Son of God, and this is the condemnation that light come, uh, is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I remember thinking to myself when that conversation was being about not wanting to follow God because you'd have to give up something. And I put this quote in your notes because I believe that it's so important. Many do not want to pay the price to follow Jesus, but have never considered the price of not following him. And our culture is consumed with following passions, following your heart, okay, as Disney's kind of their theme. And and, and all of those things are, are, are really a marketing scheme. But I, I will tell you this, that, that Jesus' you know, desire to have every single one of you to follow him, it's not pretty. It actually means giving up some of those deeds that you want. It, it means that you're turning away from your idea of what is good and you're accepting his idea of what is good. And that's not the message of religion at all. And so I want you to know, number two, that God not, not, not only does he unveil his message for us and his mission for us and his message and his mission for Mary, but he also, he, he also unveils his motive in choosing Mary. And, and, and in doing so, he unveils his, mot- his motive for choosing us. Now, I, I've had this conversation with several in the room, and so I, I don't want you to think that I'm just having this personal conversation that I've had with you out in the open, but I've had this with very many people. And, and we've had the conversation that, that kind of went like this, generally. That, you know, why would God do this? Why? Why would God allow this to happen? Well, what, what is God's motive in this? And I want you to know that the Bible does not shy away from that pain. The Bible does not shy away from why. Now, now God does not owe us an explanation. And, and, and God does not always give us one. But I will give you this that for the most important things and the things that matter the most, God always gives us his motive. And I want you to see his motive for choosing Mary. And it's actually found in verse number 32 and 33. Let's continue reading. He shall be great, this is Jesus, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. So I'm picking you, Mary, and it's not going to feel great, because he needs to be great. And he shall be called the son of the highest. And, and, and you're not going to feel the highest because he's got to be the highest. And, and, and here's why. Because the Lord shall give unto him a throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, can I just say something that it's going to sound way far out there, but, but, and, and I'd love to do a series on it. But do you know who the king of this world is right now? It is not Jesus. It is Satan. And when, when Adam and Eve chose sin, they chose a different king. When I said earlier, what you allow to control you, you give it the scepter. You make it king. You make it lord of your life. And I will tell you that the king little k of this world is Satan. But one day that will change because Satan's power was, was, was limited at the cross. It, it was a time that we don't know the time, but a time limit was set on his kingdom. And Jesus said, there will come a day where I will be the king again of this world. But the day is not yet. And so I've had a lot of people say to me from this verse, 
See, that's why I don't believe the Bible. Because if you really, if you Christians really knew your Bible, and I've had professors tell me this, if you really knew your Bible, you would see all the inconsistencies. And so I always tell them, please, convince me. And one of the things they say is that this verse right here is a lie. Now, you may not have heard that before, but you will. They say, this verse is a lie. Because all through the Old Testament, it shows us the mistakes that David made, and that Solomon made, and that Rehoboam made, and that all the kings of Judah who reigned in Jerusalem, all that they made. And God was so upset, he made a promise. He made a promise that no one would ever sit on David's throne again. No man would ever sit. Let that sink in. No man would ever sit on David's throne. And so when you're looking at this verse and you say that Jesus, the God-man, is going to sit on David's throne through the line of David, you've got to do something with that, friend. You cannot leave that open because that is, that is not a small you know, thing that you can just explain away. No, no, no. You, you have to answer that with facts and using the Bible. And so I want you to see Jeremiah to, to prove it. It says that, that no man of his seed, talking about David, shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David, ruling anymore in David. Now, if you really get into this, I'd love for you to study it out, but let me just tell you something. That was during the reign of Jeconiah. And Jeconiah made some big mistakes, and in, and in Jeremiah twenty-two thirty, God made this promise, and, and, and he was going to keep it. How many of you know every time God makes a promise, he keeps it? Let me tell you the miracle of conception right now. And that was, if you read Matthew chapter 1, you will get the genealogy of Joseph. And if you read Luke chapter 1, you will get the genealogy, the brief genealogy of Mary. Jesus had the legal right to the throne of David legally through Joseph. But the bloodline came from the line of David through Mary. Why is that important? Because Jesus is going to sit on the throne not through the line of Solomon, not through the line of David that was cursed, but through a different line. A line through a man named Nathan. A line through someone who was pure and righteous. Uh, the thirdborn. The one who came uh, to David not to be the king, but to be the servant. The one who took his life and gave it to the kingdom, not to get power and prestige, but just to serve. The little-known fourth child of David. Not Absalom, not Solomon, not Tamar, Nathan. Oh, the one named after the prophet that called David on his sin. Oh, the one that made things a little uncomfortable, but brought righteousness again to the throne of David. Oh, that's the one that isn't cursed. That's the one that Jesus is going to come through. Do you see how when Joseph would have adopted Jesus, not having a bloodline through him, it made it possible for the throne of David to become uh, uh, a, a active throne again? Do you see the, 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 the ludicrousy of just saying, well, that's just by chance. Let me tell you the chances of that since we talked about the odds last week. The chance of that is you getting struck by lightning every single day for the rest of your life. So, so did you know that if you, now this is really bad timing. I, you know, it's raining outside, okay? <laughs> Actually, I'll just tell you this, okay? The odds, the odds are, are, are miraculous, okay? <laughs> So, so the fact that both of those lines come up and the fact that Joseph met Mary and they just happened to have these backgrounds, just happened. The fact that you can trace that back through ge genealogy, not just the Bible, through genealogy. So, so it's either going to take faith not to believe in what the Bible's saying or you're going to just accept it. And you can try to poke holes in it all you want, but this is what the Bible says. And so letter A God solved a sovereignty problem. And he solved 
our sovereignty problem. Now, a lot of churches quote the church, the, uh, you know, in, in church, the Lord's Prayer. And we haven't done that in a while, and I thought we would do it right now. As, as we're closing, I thought we'd do it right now. And I want to show you something. There's a, there's a problem in the prayer. It's a sovereignty problem. Let me show this to you, okay? Uh, let's quote it together. Most of you know it, okay? Ready, begin. After this manner, they therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Now, that's a wonderful prayer, and it's something that we should model our lives after. But here's the sovereignty problem. Wow, this is no joke. <laughs> um, here's the sovereignty problem. When we talk about the Lord's Prayer, it sounds beautiful, and it is. You know what the, Lord, the point of the Lord's Prayer is? The point of the Lord's Prayer is, all the guys I was going to use as an illustration, they're gone. So uh, come on up here, Christian. Uh, Come on up here. So the point of the Lord's Prayer is this. It's either God's going to be on the throne, okay? <laughs> he, he belongs there, okay? He's comfortable there. Or, or, or you are. See, see, we don't think about this. But, but when it says, thine is the kingdom, what, what you're saying is, okay, I'm sorry, God, I was in your seat. So, so we say these things out of repetition, but we don't understand that Jesus was saying we all are seeking our own sovereignty. You see, come here. Because the, the one thing about God's throne, you can't, you can't both fit. Does that make sense? And it's not because of him. It's because of how you were made. And I'm not calling anyone in here fat. I'm saying spiritually, either he reigns or you reign, but it's not the same. So, so, so this is the sovereignty problem. He didn't just fix the sovereignty problem physically in the kingdom of Israel, and he did. He did fix that. I showed you that. He fixed the sovereignty problem between Satan being on the throne, and by the way, all sin is unbelief. It's belief in yourself. It's belief. By the way, Satan doesn't want your worship. He just wants you to worship anything but God. And what worshiping God is, and please use your imaginations, okay, it, it is me saying you deserve to be on the throne, okay, if this is God, okay? So, which it's not, and we get that, okay? But his name is Christian, so I thought it'd be good to use, okay? So, so, so the point is, I, I, I can't, I, I can't be on the throne. I can't take the reins of my life. I can't tell God through my actions, I got this. And him still be on the throne because I just grabbed the scepter from him. Do you, do you, do you see that? And, and so that's what the Lord's prayer, that's how he, that's how he leads us out of temptation. That's how he delivers, delivers us from evil. That, that's how he's our daily bread. It, it's the thing is, if I'm on the throne, I gotta bring the bread. If he's on the throne, he's bringing the bread. Do you see what I'm saying? Everything lines up. But see, we want to be on the throne and have the bread at the same time. See, we want to be on the throne and we, want, we, we still want to be delivered from evil. We want to be on the throne. We want the prerogatives of being on the throne. We've got to place Jesus there first. He's got to be there first. And so here, here's, thank you so much, Christian. Let's give him a hand for uh, doing that on call. I was looking for my help here um not not to roast them but they they're probably smoking out back or something uh no i'm just i'm joking i'm joking it's johnny wherever he's at um so um here's here's the key thought that every every sin every sin against god we reveal our search for self-sovereignty and 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 it really comes down to to the fact that our greatest common denominator in, in, in our culture and in every culture is the fact that we we desire control. And so he, here's the final thing, and, and then we'll be finished. And, and it is letter letter B. He not only sol solved the sovereignty problem, but he solved our sin problem. He solved our sin problem. 
And, and this is seen when, when Jesus was called the, the Savior of the world. Uh, but but here's, the, here's the key thought as we finish. And it is this, that our greatest problem is our sin problem. By the way, culture has a lot of problems, but they're all a sin problem. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I, I see a lot of things that aren't right, but, but they're all the root of all of them. They're all sin. And, and so um, that, that's, that's the reality. And so God is wanting uh, to do the impossible in our lives, but we must make ourselves available. And it is repentance that, that, that closes the door to sin and opens the door to God's grace. God has saving sinners at the top of his list because sin has infected every soul in this room. And it is at the top of the list of all of our problems. And so the, the greatest problem we have is the, is the greatest problem the world has ever seen. But it was met by the greatest solution. And it was Jesus being the Savior. And so the Virgin Mary provides one of the greatest pictures of the story of redemption because God chose to enter a sinful world to save us from the consequences of our sin. And this is why I believe that Mary was not perfect. Because if, he, if she was perfect, God would be sending the wrong message to us. He would be sending the, the message that says, if you're perfect, I'll indwell you. But if you're not, I won't. And that's the message that religion sends. Even when they call Mary perfect. Even when Mary says herself she wasn't. So I believe that Mary was a sinful person, but she was the, the means by which God used her in a beautiful way to bring perfection back down to earth. And so I believe it's a wonderful picture of redemption. And I believe that when the Bible talks about redemption in Romans and, and says that, that by the grace of God, by the grace of Jesus, we are redeemed in Jesus Christ, I believe that means being bought back. Yesterday, uh, I'll tell the story and then I'll be finished. Uh, I was in the store and, uh, and I was buying a gift card. And uh, like, like many of us this year, we, you know, we buy, buy gift cards and uh, my go-to is Amazon. Again, this is not a commercial, but it just is my go-to. Um, it even has a smile, okay? And fr everything from A to Z, okay? Uh, you can't unsee that, by the way. Um, so I bought the gift card, and I uh, was waiting, and the lady said, just a minute, it's activating your gift card. No problem. And while we're waiting, I invited her to the church, and uh, she wasn't that interested, which is fine. And, uh, but but uh, I, you know, just was standing there waiting, and it was kind of awkward. You know how you're in kind of those awkward situations. She says, oh, by the way, uh, we don't take these gift cards back anymore. You know, so it's a final purchase. Okay, no problem. You know, that's fine. I'm giving it away, so if they want to return it, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'm just telling you what I was thinking, you know. I mean, not that you wanted to know or anything, you know. So, so I'm sitting there and uh, waiting, you know. So finally it prints out the receipt, and she's like, oh, and here's your receipt in case you want to return it. <laughs> and she wasn't joking, you know. She's like, here, here, here's, your, here's your activation receipt, and here's your receipt to return it. Why are you giving me a receipt to return it when you're not going to take it back? You know what I mean? Like, I just, I wanted to say it, but I didn't, you know, but I'm thinking it, and now I'm saying it here, you know? <laughs> so, so, but immediately when I thought that, I'm like, wait a second, wait a second, that's what religion does? Religion set, religion gives you a receipt for your redemption, but says, you know what? You know what? You got to keep working for that. You, you know, you know, you know what? It wasn't enough what Jesus did. It wasn't enough. You, you know, that redemption wasn't enough. And, and he's not going to buy you back unless you're good. And if you're really good, then he'll forgive you. But Jesus didn't come to forgive good people. Jesus came to forgave, forgive bad people like me. And I'm so thankful that that redemption that Jesus brought was a gift it was a gift. It was not something to be worked for. Mary was given the opportunity to, to have 
the, 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 the Son of God indwell her. And I've given you some scriptures about how now we have the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit of God indwell us. See that parallel? And it is a gift. Mary did not do anything to receive the opportunity of giving birth to the Son of God. But let me tell you that there is nothing you can do on this planet. There is no good work, and good works are great, but good works are supposed to come from a heart that has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so our worth is in our birth, not in our good works. You can't work your way into good standing with God. And so here's the takeaway. And it is this, that God desires to transform you and enable you, but he loves you enough to give you the choice. Can I just tell you something? That God has paid for your sin in full, but you must receive that payment. And if you've received that payment, can I tell you something else that really convicted me this week? And it is this. God will not force his power and his working through you. If Mary had not been a virgin, she would have been disqualified. Now listen, that doesn't mean that if you have a past, no, no, no. God, through his goodness, will give you the righteousness. That's why my life verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21, because God made Jesus sin for us who knew no sin. That I, me, big sinner Pete, could be made the righteousness of God through him. So it's in him that I'm, in, that I'm righteous, not in a religious system, not in what I could do. So here's what I have to do every single day. I have to lay down my arms and stop fighting and stop trying to do it all on my own. And I have to allow the power of the highest to overshadow me. And I have to allow the Holy Ghost to work in me what I cannot do in and of myself. So that power will not be forced through you. The grace of God is accessible to you, but it is not inevitable for you. The grace of God works through you when you take yourself off the throne and place God back in his rightful place. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Five New Life. Have an amazing day.